following is a vintage broadcasting publication presented by Frank Goss. The following podcast is entitled Dewey's Dumbing Down of the American Children. This series is concentrated on the state of public education in the United States of America. A lot of people listening to this do not understand how widespread illiteracy and ignorance instills an existential threat to the United States. They don't understand how Johnny not being able to read brings a real risk to our nation. Education is extremely important, but it has been corrupted severely, and it's been taken over by those who have a particular agenda. But it can be fixed. Unfortunately, neither the cause of this crisis in education nor the solution to it is a mystery, at least anyone who studies the issue. To blame for this dangerous phenomenon are the Democrat Socialists, our lead educators going back to the mid-1800s and who are very prominent in our day. The principal at my middle school here in the small little town in Appalachia that I live in is a professed democratic socialist. I live in rural Appalachia. Don't think this can't happen in your school. They are using, in particular, their quack methodologies ostensibly aimed at teaching reading to children. The answer to the illiteracy crisis is simple though. America must go back to what had worked for thousands of years and continues to work today, which is basically systematic phonic instruction. America among the nations was certainly the most literate of all people in the 17 and 1800s. In fact, the earliest settlers in Massachusetts, the Puritans, were so passionate about reading that in, six, in the 1640s, they passed the Old Deluder Satan Act mandating that everyone learn to read. The thinking was that without knowledge of the Bible, the devil would be more easily able to deceive their communities. And so, it was understood that every town must strive for universal literacy with the Bible as the foundational basis of learning. This passion for literacy translated into what would become the most literate society mankind had ever produced up to that time. According to the University of Montana scholar Kenneth Lockridge, literacy in colonial New England 90% of the people were literate by 1800 with numbers approaching 100% in cities such as Boston. Even among women, that was true. According to estimates by Joe Perlman of Baird College and Dennis Shirley of Boston College, virtually all women born in the early, early 1800s were literate. At the time, Americans realized that as well. In his groundbreaking 1812 study, National Education in the United States of America, DuPont de Nemours estimated that even among young people, not more than four in 1,000 were able to write legibly, even neatly. And in 1800, the Boston Review reported that no other nation in the world had a larger percentage of its population with at least basic literacy skills and an understanding of the rudiments of science. Considering documents such as the Federalist Papers, which were addressed to the common American man, it's also clear that the level of literacy by the late 1700s was extraordinary, especially by today's standards. Remarkably, this was all accomplished with virtually no government interference or involvement in education at all. 
In fact, most children learn to read from their families using simple but highly effective resources such as Noah Webster's Blueback Speller and the New England Primer. These two tools taught reading using phonics while providing valuable moral lessons. By the middle of the 20th century, though, everything had changed. The Democrats were in control. The major difference is a free market school system versus a collectivist socialist educational system. Presently, we have the collectivist socialist educational system, which is very, very active in public education. And the results are overwhelmingly lopsided as well in favor of the private schools. If a company was to produce the same results as the government school system is producing today, it would have been closed decades ago. After 12 years of school, seven hours a day, five days a week, little Johnny still cannot read above a fifth grade level. 63% of seniors graduating in our nation today are not proficient in reading. 80% are not proficient in geography. 66% are not proficient in math. 88% are not proficient in history. And 63% cannot write articulately. They don't know how to express themselves. Overall, the United States collective student body is hovering just above abject failure. A crisis in literacy was brewing that's without precedent in the history of the world. Literacy rates began plummeting, particularly after World War II, and today the government's own data shows evidence of a catastrophic decline in reading. Little Johnny can't read, nor can Big Johnny. In 1993, the U.S. government conducted the most comprehensive literacy study ever performed up to that time, and the results were shocking. On September 9th of that year, nearly 150 years after Mr. Horace Mann instituted mandated public education, and 100 years after John Dewey began his experimental elementary school program, the Boston Globe reported that nearly 50% of Americans read and write so poorly that it's difficult for them to even hold a decent job. Many other analysts concluded based on the findings that almost half of the nation was either illiterate or at least very close to functional illiteracy. In short, the United States has been handicapped, severely handicapped in our public schools. Another federal study performed a decade later found similar results, and the numbers are even worse in certain areas among America's youth. According to the federal government's most recent national assessment of educational progress, only about one-third of high school seniors are proficient in reading. One-third. And the trend is on the decline. Things are not getting better. They're not improving, even after pouring billions upon billions of dollars into the public school system. And in Washington, D.C., a recent state education agency reported that two-thirds of the adult population is functionally illiterate, falling to 50% in, the, in some wards. In response, top D.C. officials took a trip to communist Cuba to see how that murderous regime educates their children. In April of 1983, a National Commission on Excellence in Education produced its landmark reform on government education entitled A Nation at Risk, the imperative for educational reform. 
constantly calling for educational reform, the highly critical report expressed the views of the commission's 18-member panel that education in America was in serious trouble and that drastic reforms were necessary to revive the faltering school system. That was in 1983, 38 years ago. There has been a clarion call for reform continually being made, not just by a few concerned citizens, but by national coalitions, national commissions who have studied the educational process here in America. This is a constant cry that is answered with solid silence. The government throws money into the educational money pit, but they've yet to yield any promising results. Instead, using the same methods that they have been using and expecting a tremendous change because more money has been put into the system, the downward spiral continues. We have to stop and look and ask the question, is this intentional? The report noted that the United States was once unchallenged in its preeminence in commerce, industry, science, and technological innovation. But it now states unequivocally that the preeminence has become less and less evident in the late 20 and 21st century. The causes of America's decline are many, but education is the one that undergirds America's prosperity, security, and civility. Of course, there has been a sneak preview of what is now being observed in Boston under then Massachusetts Secretary of Education, Horace Mann. Horace Mann, if you recall, was a collectivist utopian. He led the government takeover of schooling in his state and beyond throughout the nation in the mid-1800s. But the quackery that had been foisted among the people had been quickly and ably exposed by experienced and professional educators. They were able to limit the damage. The root of the problem stems from the method used to teach reading. Now this may be boring to people who are listening to this, but reading invites understanding. And understanding allows for comprehension. And comprehension allows for the awareness of the world around you and the formation of viable convictions. Without the essentials of reading, writing, and arithmetic being in place, we are producing a less literate population. A less literate population is far easier to manipulate than one who knows and understands. That is a true existential threat to our nation. These are generational changes, they say, that naturally occur. Each generation coming out of the public school program is less able to comprehend society as a whole. They're less likely to read with a high level of understanding, and they're less desirous to learn due to inherent frustrations that accompany the lack of comprehension. This is the dumbing down of the American children. And this is being done today. We're seeing the development of Plato's aristocracy, which is being ruled by philosopher kings. Now, if you don't know this already, Plato was highly opposed to democracy and pushed hard for totalitarianism. He loved the idea of the elites. He did not like the idea of excessive freedom, and he taught that society was possessed of workers, soldiers, and guardian philosopher kings, which was the elite ruling class. Most university students are required to read Plato's Republic, which I have in my library here in my office. Writing such as this opens up our understanding as to where the articulated ideas within education have come from. This book is heavily promoted and presented to virtually every college freshman interested in political studies. 
The writing system in English is based on phonetic characters, with each letter representing one or more audible sounds. For instance, the letter B makes the B sound, while the letter P makes the P sound. So, from the time this writing system was developed thousands of years ago by the Phoenicians, teaching an individual how to read has involved giving the students the knowledge to sound out letters, then blend them together, and then decode what has been placed on paper. A great Christian minister and educator, Reverend Thomas Gallaudet of Connecticut, after learning from a French minister in Paris, pioneered a new system. And it was good and it was needed. It came to be known as the whole world method, the look-say method, or the sight-word method. It seems clear that Gallaudet had nothing but the best of intentions, even if his ideas ended up producing so many problems. In his capacity as the director of the American Asylum at Hartford for the education of the deaf and dumb from 1817 to 1830, Gallaudet worked to refine methods to teach reading to children who were deaf and or mute. Because deaf children are incapable of hearing sounds, phonetic teaching was an impossible thing for them to learn. Teaching them to associate certain sounds with certain symbols just wasn't feasible. So he taught the children to look at whole words as ideographs or pictographs, similar to the Chinese writing system, as if the words themselves were symbols rather than a group of symbols, each one representing a sound. Instead of teaching a child that the word hat includes three symbols, each one representing a specific sound, Gallaudet would show them the entire word, along with a drawing of a hat, encouraging the children to memorize the whole word as they saw it, accompanied with the picture. For deaf children, this allowed an enormous leap forward. But Gallaudet and others theorized, incorrectly, that this same method might help non-deaf children. Gallaudet even created a reading primer based on these ideas and began promoting his methods in educational circles and publications. Just a few short months after being selected to serve as the Commonwealth's first Secretary of Education in 1837, Horace Mann, a collectivist who seemed always ready to embrace some form of quackery, would oversee the introduction of this new system into the government primary schools of Boston. It was a disaster. Basically, children suddenly began to struggle to learn how to read, with many of them displaying symptoms of what would be diagnosed today as dyslexia. Within a few years, the schoolmasters of Boston joined forces to expose and repudiate the quackery before it did more damage. In a stinging paper, more than 30 school chiefs wrote that such a change, as proposed by Mr. Mann and others, is neither called for nor sustained by sound reasoning. The critical comments made in the remarks on the 7th Annual Report of the Honorable Horace Mann pointed out that many of the arguments made in support of the whole word method were fallacious and based on false premises. Others were irrelevant. The results were very, very clear, and the proof was substantiated. There had been a great deterioration during the trial of that new C-Say system, and that was the end of that, at least for a while. Incredibly, some 50 years after being exposed and declared to be harmful, the whole word method would be resurrected by educational reformer John Dewey. 
a hardcore socialist communist who is almost universally recognized as the founding father of America's progressive public educational system. Now, while man may have genuinely believed that the whole world method would work, it would appear with the intelligence that he possessed that John Dewey suffered under no such delusions. The evidence was clear and made manifest. For one, the method had been conclusively debunked in the 1840s under Horace Mann. In addition, Dewey used the method on children in his experimental school in Chicago with results similar to those that were obtained in Boston generations earlier. Children were unable to read proficiently or properly. Dewey also left the smoking gun evidence of his desire to intentionally destroy the high literacy rates among children that existed throughout America at that time. In his controversial 1898 essay, The Primacy Education Fetish, he openly argued that schools should de-emphasize the teaching of reading, which he believed led to excessive individualism, which in a collectivist society just simply was not acceptable. In fact, Dewey said children in the early grades were better off not receiving much instruction at all in the so-called three R's of reading, writing, and arithmetic. Instead, Dewey was an ardent admirer of the Soviet Union educational system. He thought young children mostly needed to be properly socialized to become functional members of the collective. Because, you see, together, everybody achieves more. He knew his ideas would not go over well with parents and teachers or taxpayers, so he, he stated that change had to come gradually. Divorce it unduly would compromise its final success by favoring a violent reaction. So instead, and we've mentioned this earlier, he went to the John D. Rockefeller dynasty and the elites seeking funding. Years later, Dewey Disciples, a motley collection of socialist, and communist, and racist eugenics, would create reading primers based on the whole word quackery. William Gray at the University of Chicago, where Dewey led the education faculty for years, would produce the Dick and Jane series. Meanwhile, Arthur Gates at Columbia University's Teacher College, where Dewey went after leaving Chicago, would produce the Macmillan Readers, which are still being used today. It took a while for them to catch on in America, but they caught on. And after World War II, with plenty of taxpayer cash to burn, school districts across the nation many being influenced by John Dewey and his minions, started buying up the books and imposing whole word method on millions of innocent students. Guess what happened? Literacy rates promptly collapsed. By the 1950s, the crisis was so serious that the public was starting to ask questions. And in 1955, Rudolf Lesch published the explosive book, Why Can't Johnny Read? Blowing the lid off the quackery. The teaching of reading all over the United States and in all the schools, in all the textbook, is totally wrong, and it flies in the face of all logic and common sense, he wrote, lamblasting the whole word method and the literacy crisis that it was producing. The ensuing scandal caused many schools to restore traditional phonics instruction, but the utopian advocates of reading and the reading quackery did not tower and go away. Less than 20 years after Flesh exposed them, Legendary educator and reading expert, Dr. Samuel Blumenfeld, would expose them once more in his writing, The New Illiterates. 
In the book, he systematically analyzed the most common reading primers then in use across the United States, highlighting the problems and showing the enormous damage being done to our children. Again, scandal ensued. And again, quackery advocates, the socialist Democrats, rebranded their schemes as whole language, and they offered minor alterations, and then went right on handicapping the American children by the millions on a daily basis. Incredibly, some especially unhinged educators argued that teaching children to read properly was all part of a vast right-wing conspiracy. Now, today, brain scans performed with new technology have actually shown the damage being done to the physical brains of children victimized by this quackery. Dr. Stanislas Dehan, director of the Cognitive Neuroimaging Unit at Saclay in France, demonstrated the harm and explained that reading must be taught systematically. Teaching children equals between sound and letters. The educational establishment pretended not to notice these things, and the absurdity continues today. In our day, in 2021, key elements of the whole word method still haunt public schools across the United States often under new terminology such as balanced literacy and guided reading. Under the National Common Core Education Standards imposed on the United States by former President Barack Hussein Obama, kindergarten children are even required to memorize sight words. This causes a whole word reflex to develop that can produce lifelong reading disabilities, despite having a bit of phonics mixed in. Perhaps more incredibly, even though the methods have been totally, totally and completely discredited since the 1840s, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, which is known as UNESCO, claims children all over the world should still learn sight vocabulary. Now consider this. People who can't read cannot readily educate themselves. They are very much easier to control and to manipulate. And perhaps this is the point. With man, it's entirely possible that this was an innocent mistake. Certainly that's true of most teachers in the United States today as well. Teachers who haven't been trained to teach reading properly. But the fact is this giant mistake continues to be supported by the educational establishment to this day. And you must consider that the teacher unions in the United States today are socialist, and communist and collectivist. And they're pushing these ideas into the school system and into the minds of your children. And this suggests that there is a far more nefarious agenda at work. Call it a conspiracy if you will, but the facts presented are accurate and true. And today is far more pronounced than ever before. Little Johnny still cannot read. This is Frank Doss with Vintage Broadcasting. We do appreciate your participation in listening to our broadcast. We hope that it benefits you in some way and that you'll continue listening in the days to come.